Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hey, friends. Welcome back to another in our series of uncut interviews. As a reminder, I'm taking a couple months off from making fully produced episodes. As much as I love the regular interview episodes and the between episodes that provide greater insight into other topics, they take a lot of time and energy to produce. So while I focus on some other parts of my business, I'm presenting a handful of interviews that I recorded about a year and a half ago. These episodes fell into a sort of no man's land when it became clear to me that I needed to work much harder to increase the diversity of stories I was telling on the show. And not just racial diversity, but all types. People in different size and shape bodies, people in bodies of different abilities, people of different ages and socioeconomic brackets, etc. These uncut interviews are just as good as all of the others. They just got caught in the middle of these shifting priorities. So in order to keep giving you new content while also giving myself a break, I'm releasing these interviews in their unedited form. You'll get to hear all of the stumbles and unfinished thoughts and speaking over each other that get cut out of a fully produced episode. Think of this as your behind-the-scenes peek into the interview experience. Today, you'll meet Christine Wilde, host of the podcast Running Wild with Christine. And if you'd like to hear my appearance on her show, go back in her archives to August 2019. And you can also find it at leahcarry.com forward slash as heard on, where I archive most of the podcast episodes I've been featured on. There's a treasure trove of over 50 interviews there if you want to do a really deep dive. Christine is also the author of the book Just Bad Timing, which you can find on Amazon and I'll link to in the show notes. Christine is a 29-year-old cisgender female. She describes herself as white, bisexual, non-monogamous, and in a committed relationship. She grew up in Switzerland, spent summers in Croatia, and now lives in Canada. I am so pleased to introduce Christine. I'm so excited to welcome you, Christine. Um, I recently appeared on your show. And yes. when we finished, we're like, that was such a fun conversation. Let's do it again on my show. <laughs> yes, I'm so excited not to be the host. <laughs> <laughs> But thank you for doing me this ultimate pleasure Absolutely. of indulging. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I start all of my interviews in the same place, which is what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Oh, my first memory of sexual pleasure. It's probably just a bunch of memories jumbled together, mm-hmm. tied to one person. I'm really bad, actually, at memory from like before I was 15. I think it's like all, I'm not one of those people who's like, when I was seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's probably my, my first ever boyfriend was this guy that, um, I saw every summer, because I grew up in Switzerland, but every summer we went to our um, holiday house in Croatia, because my dad's Croatian, and um, it was in a tiny little bay with, like, no one around, Uh and there was just, like, 12 kids, and, like, every summer the 12 kids would come back, and so one of them was, like, my boyfriend every summer, but summers only, from the (laughs) age of eight to 15. Wow. Yeah, and he was my first time, too, so I think... Probably the first sort of like tingle. It wasn't necessarily like a sexual act, but I think like the first tingle or like impulse would have probably been, I don't know how old I was. It was one of the summers, probably maybe like 12 or 13 of like tonguing, like French kissing with him and just being like, ooh, what is that? I think that's probably my first like, hmm, this is a... I, I guess that's my first sexual re- memory with someone else. My own personal one, I probably don't even remember. Sure. Like the first time I went, oh, what does this button do? Uh-huh. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't like that. So were you masturbating from an early age? Yeah. I have I have memories of just like humping random things. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> just like, this sounds like a good thing to hump. Yeah. But it probably just solidated, consolidated around like 12, 13. Mm-hmm. That's when I remember viciously humping pillows. <laughs> <laughs> so it was around the same time, it sounds like, that you were vigorously mm-hmm. humping the pillows and that you started making out with the boy. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I don't know which one came first. I don't know. Honestly, don't. I Probably the kiss came first. Mm-hmm. And do you and remember pillows. it being fun, that making out? Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. I have. I have very joyful, healthy, safe memories of like my first sexual encounters, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. So how did it progress? I mean, it sounds like it happened over several summers. How did it progress from making out to you said your first time was with him as well? Yeah. um, I think we kind of just like had a milestone every summer. Just sort of naturally was like, oh, just like a peck and then a peck and more and then blah, blah, blah. But I think the summer that I was 15, I was 15 and a half when I lost my virginity, quote unquote. Um, it just was like an agreed thing. It was a thing that was going to happen. And we, he had lost his, again, I'm using lost virginity because it's the framework we've been giving. Not that I agree with the sure. definition of it. Yeah. Um, but he'd already had sex with other people because obviously we weren't, we were only together in the summer. Yeah. Um, and so he was like, yeah, I did it. And I was like, oh, I think I want to do it with you. And then, yeah. Was there any jealousy for you that he'd done it with somebody else first? Do you know what? Actually, it's, I think I'm only thinking about it recently, but there wasn't. It was kind of like he was a year older than me. So it was just the normal thing. And I was actually quite relieved that he knew knew what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
<laughs> yeah. No, I don't remember feeling jealous. Yeah. I recently interviewed a woman who said that uh, what she had sort of picked up from the culture was that it was better to do it with somebody else who already knew what they were doing and to be drunk. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't drunk, which I'm surprised because I've been drunk a lot since. Um, but no, it, oh my God, it was such a weird story. We, um, the summer house turned into a bigger house over the years. My dad built it up. And so he'd finished this like massive house that he was renting out while we were in there. And one summer he forgot that I stayed all summer. That summer when I was 15, I decided to stay all summer and he forgot to leave a room for me. Oh. So essentially I was living in like the unfinished basement of this massive house, which was just like concrete walls, a bed, a fridge, and like no running water or anything. So oh I would go and like shower at my friends and he was like, ah, whatever, you're fine. You have a bed. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was in that unfinished basement and a cat like burst into the room while we were like doing it. <laughs> and so we had to stop and like laugh and get this cat out. And it was just like the most hilarious situation the most yeah. hilarious memory that's actually really nice cat. to have laughter during your first time it is because it was terrifying mm -hmm. like it was it was honestly I think I and I just because because I wrote a book that's a memoir I remember vividly trying to remember that moment when I was writing the book and um and I like the one thing that that th there's like a few bits and pieces of memory that stay and it's like this like crazy new I, uh, intimacy level and then his eyes and then me for a split second wanting to go get the fuck away from me like <laughs> everyone like back up yeah. <laughs> and then and then you know after quote unquote the like little teeny bit of pain I'm just being like oh okay <laughs> it's just like a crescendo like ah and then oh all right uh-huh actually I can do this um but yeah it was it was very funny with the laughter that was helping and relieving all the like jitters. Yeah. Did you have pleasure that first time? Do you remember? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, it was pleasurable in a variety of different ways in that I was happy to be sharing that moment with him. And it was sort of a, I remember feeling that it was good, that it was like a good way to do that and a good introduction but like I in terms of like orgasming or anything like that it was nowhere near that mm -hmm. yeah so you've mentioned that you grew up in Switzerland and that you spent a lot of time in Croatia I'm curious yeah. to hear and now I know you live in Canada yeah um, so what kinds of messages were you hearing in your family and just culturally in each of those Mm -hmm. um, countries around sex and sexuality? Well, my mom, I remember telling my mom when I came back from summer that I lost my virginity. And she was like, damn it, I wish you'd waited six more months until you turned 16. Like 16 was like, uh -huh. after 16, you're fine. And before <laughs> it's a little early. That was kind of the, the benchmark. Wow. Um, my mom tried her best because I, I grew up with a single mom. Like my dad was around, but they were divorced and I lived with my mom. Um, she was trying really hard to be open, even though it went against every bone in her body. Mm. Um, she's in her own life, I think very traditional and, and a little prudish, maybe we would call it. Um, but very open-minded. Mm -hmm. So she was like, I realize I can see from you that this is 
becoming a priority. <laughs> so like, please tell me when it happens kind of thing and like be safe. And then as soon as I told her that it had happened, she was like, okay, I'm scheduling a, a gynecologist appointment and we're putting you on the pill and blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. So that way was very sort of baseline. There was no conversation about pleasure yeah, whatsoever. Sure. It was like safety. Um, do you have feelings for them was a big question. Um, which is funny considering my current attachment style, but, um, but yeah, no, it was just very prim and proper, but open. Yeah. I don't remember it being super shameful, but it wasn't super informed either. And so what is the, what is the culture around sex in Switzerland? The culture in Switzerland in general is very much you do you in the public be very proper. We don't need to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we had basic sex ed in the sense of like, this is a condom, this is a banana. Sure. And so forth and so forth. Um, and we did have access to um, like something along the lines of like Planned Parenthood of just like if you were under 16 or under 18 and you needed to go talk about this stuff without your parents there were um frameworks and places where you could go but it was very much like we don't really want to know that you went but yeah. it's there if you need it and what about in croatia um in the balkans it's not talked about at all like it's like you live with your parents you get married you move out with your husband we don't need to know uh-huh. hopefully you're making babies but <laughs> like the how the babies come around not a thing Yeah. So when you were with your dad and having all these experiences, were you talking with him about any of it? No. Well, I mean, I had a fraught relationship with my dad around like in my teenage years anyway. So I wasn't telling him much. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was just because it was sex. I think I just wasn't really, we weren't really jiving at that point. Mm -hmm. And also I just think he's uncomfortable with feelings. (laughs) Like one of those guys. Yeah. It just just needs much longer. My friend tried to help me because I was struggling with understanding him. And she was like, picture somebody who's in like a wheelchair and you're asking him to run. Mm. Like he's like emotionally needs more assistance than mm-hmm. what you're asking of him. So, yeah, I don't I, I don't I think if I had a relationship with him, I don't think it would have been weird to talk about it. But I just didn't. Sure. Sure. So after that first boy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, okay. So you, you were 15 when you had that first experience with him. Did you then go back in later summers and continue that relationship or was that the No, end he got a girlfriend, a real girlfriend and uh-huh. that he stayed with throughout the summers after that. But we're very good friends. Like we're basically family now because we still, we still saw each other every um, oh. summer. And yeah, to this day, we're like, we have each other very near to our hearts, but no, after that, it was uh, a lot more experimenting with um, with not very memorable people. <laughs> Much less memorable. <laughs> so this was back in Switzerland or both? Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up, I, I was in high school in Switzerland. So I think um, it was easier to do it when I wasn't in high school. Like it was easier to do it traveling or mm. or on vacations or on summers away or whatever it be. Uh, but yeah, in Switzerland, all over Europe, when you grew up in Europe, it's kind of like the location is a little blurry. Uh huh. So what were some of those, you said they were unmemorable, but there was lots of experimenting. So what kind of experiments were you doing? I don't know. I think maybe from 16 to 18, I like 
tried dating in this traditional sense of it. And it just wasn't for me. I mean, I, it, I, I very much faked it for a very long time. I was like, yeah, maybe I like you. No, I'm yeah. I mean, I had sex with people, but I didn't have like crazy amounts of sex with crazy amounts of strangers. It still felt like a lot back then. because I think people just weren't talking about it. Um, as much as I would now, but, um, but yeah, I tried date, I would date people for a couple of weeks and then like maybe have sex with them. Maybe not. Like it wasn't a prescribed type of behavior, but I would follow wherever mm-hmm. my body would be like, Hey, maybe we want to try this. But it was all sort of very much like following a script yeah. that I was given. So at what point did things become memorable again? <laughs> oh, 18, 18. I met my first ever adult boyfriend as I like to call him because he was twice my age oh and I dated him for two years accidentally what does that mean (laughs) (laughs) well we went on a not a date date that was like not meant to be a date um I'd met him a while back I was working as a bartender in Europe you can do that when you're 16 so from 16 to 18 and then um around 18 I was 18 already it was sometime in the spring or something um, he was like, Hey, we should catch up. I haven't seen you in a while. I just came back from Africa, blah, 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 um, on a trip. And I was like, sure. And so we met up and then we went from, you know, going to the lake to going for a drink, to going for some food, to me walking home at four o'clock in the morning, having had sex with him being like, Oh yeah. So that happened. <laughs> um, and and then I was like, he was going to move to a different country for work a couple months later. And I was going away to travel for a year by myself. So I was like, perfect, friends with benefits, who cares, blah, blah, blah. I was embracing much more of my actual attachment style, which is like sex is not related to feelings. In my body, they're not related. Um, they're cool when it happened at the same time. But my sexual pleasure is not derived from how many feelings I have huh. for, this, for the person. Uh-huh. Um, so I think I was finally starting to discover that the people that I liked as people were not necessarily the people that I physically was attracted to as much. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, was, I think it's the first time that I said, ah, I can have a fuck buddy situation. And then fuck, I got, I got warped into like roped into this thing by like teenage hormones and, <laughs> and naivety or something. And uh, yeah, we stayed, we stayed together for like two years. So how did you feel about the age difference? I didn't care, but I was a rebel at that point. Uh-huh. At that point, I was like, I'm going to fuck out of this house. I'm going to fuck out of this country. I don't want to have anything to do with this puritanical sort of like, wee, 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 like okay. fake attitude towards life that it should be, you know, work, work, work. Maybe you have a couple kids and then you die. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was just like, I mean, I had a hard time with mom because I really liked the fact that I could tell mom everything up until that point because the... First guy was very age appropriate. It was a cute story. And then, you know, I think obviously as parents would, they kind of freaked out when I started dating a guy twice my age. Um, So it kind of sucked to have to be like, they knew, like I wasn't hiding, but it sucked to have to be more Heidi than I would have liked to be. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't care. It didn't feel like there was a huge difference. Obviously, if you're a dude in your late 30s, early 40s, dating a girl in her late teens, early 20s, there is something that you share on some level. Like I was always a little more mature than my age and he's been the same ever since. So (laughs) I think, and I, we're still really good friends now. Like 10 years later, I can, I can 
like we still hang out and stuff, but I'm like, oh, I see 10 years later, a lot of the stuff that he was doing, I understand it now, whereas it all seemed so mysterious and, uh-huh. and you know, grown up back then. Yeah. Now I'm just like, oh, you were just scared of me. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I terrified the living shit out of you. That's what that was. Oh. So how did that end? Um, I moved to Vancouver for university and he did not. To Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you've been in Canada ever since? Um, no. Um, I moved the very first time in 2009. So yeah, 10 years ago. And then I went back to Europe for two years in 2016 and 2017. Mm-hmm. Okay. So once you got to Canada, did things feel any different in terms yes. of dating and sex? <laughs> oh, it was amazing. I was in university. I didn't know anyone. I didn't have anyone that cared about what I did. Like I could do everything I wanted and not be worried that the neighbor would tell my mom kind of mm. thing. Um, and yeah, it was just like, it was a whole new page, like a blank Blank, uh, what's it called? Blank slate. Of, blank slate, thank you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's when the fun really started. <laughs> <laughs> so do you tell. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm what you would call someone who was very promiscuous in university. Um, I moved to Canada, I was already 19, and I already had been a bartender. So I started bartending right away, which is the legal drinking age here is 19. Mm-hmm. Um. So I was the hot bartender for as long as I know in university. And not only did I have the keys to the alcohol, but I was also like funny and witty. And so it was really easy for me to really get anyone I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I took advantage of it. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, like at that point, the numbers started racking up. It was just like one thing. And I don't know how I want to say this because it's going to change the story. It's going to change how we talk about these experiences. But basically what I realized afterwards, my early twenties were like a race for pleasure. Mm. We're like a massive sort of like, I need to know how every single thing of this feels. And I need more of the things that feel good Yeah. only because I wasn't, I, I orgasmed for the first time when I was 20, Three. So at that point, it's seven years into my sexual activity lifespan. Yeah. Which feels very long when you're chasing an orgasm. (laughs) So had you had orgasms during masturbation? No. So you had your first experience at 23. And what was that like? It was fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) To be honest, it was really fucked up. Um, I... I always knew, and I did a lot of research, and I'm still the person who does a lot of research, as you know, from my podcast and stuff. I like to have information from anywhere possible, but I knew I was there was physically nothing wrong with me. I knew that my body ph- physiologically worked perfectly. How did you know but, that? Because I, and there's, there was nothing wrong with me. It wasn't like sex was painful. It wasn't like any of the like conditions, quote unquote, um, or legitimate conditions that a lot of women have that prohibit them from orgasming. I didn't have any of those problems. Mm -hmm. My problem was my brain, Mm hundred percent my brain. And the fact that I wasn't connected to my body, but I didn't know it. The fact that I didn't know how to relax. My OCD is a huge problem because I'm constantly going 
150 kilometers an hour in my head. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I was never really present in the moment. So when you say that you weren't connected to your body, what does that mean for you? That means that I would be like, I would feel the pleasure. And instead of going like, ooh, this feels good. Where does this feel good? And how and why? Which is what I think now when I feel pleasure. I'm like, huh, interesting. What is that? I like focus really on the body and that feeling. I would still be in the performative script of being like, this feels good. But do I look fat? Or does did I turn off the oven or, did, yeah. you know, these weird hijacking thoughts would just come into my brain and I, and I could see how my behavior, I can see now how my behavior then was very much sort of trying to push it away, but in a sort of very superficial way without getting to the root of like, no, you need to focus on mm. what your body's experiencing right now. And, and so how did why? you come to that recognition that that's what you needed to do? Oh, years later. Um, I, I don't think the, the first orgasm didn't come from that realization. The first orgasm came from a boy who repeatedly broke my heart and had sucked out the last ounce of energy out of my body. Like emotionally, I was exhausted and there were other logistical circumstances that, you know, through university that just made me like a shell of a human. And, and as a last resort to really fuck myself over, I just booty called him at the worst of time. Uh-huh. And I, it just like, it surprised me. I think I just gave up and I was like, fuck it. This is so unhealthy. So toxic. I should not be doing this, but whatever. And my body just like let go. Mm-hmm. And just went past the hurdle. I would I would have a lot of pleasure and I would get almost to the orgasm and then it would shut off. It would almost kind of be like too much. And my whole body would be like, nope. Mm -mm. And at that point, I just, my all of my defenses were down. Mm -hmm. And so I just went over the edge and I was like, well, fuck. Now this is tied to you. Oh, and yeah. Then, and then, yeah, that was worse. How long did it take for you to have that experience of orgasm with another person? After uh, Well, we I dated that guy for two and a half years after that. Oh, okay. Which was a horrible mistake, but you know, lots of orgasms. So that's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and then probably the first person I had an orgasm with after trying to think, cause that would have been when I moved back to France, um, or, or moved to France. Um, it was probably a random stranger. Mm -hmm. Do you at that know point, Oh, go Sorry, go ahead. Do you know what, um, what, was there a similarity between the first guy you orgasmed with and the next time? Was it something about how they interacted with you or was it something internal? No, it was totally internal. Yeah. It was totally internal. I think the next person that managed together, I was selfish enough in that moment to be like, I need that to happen again. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to let anything else in my head interfere with like this goal and not in the sense of like in the act I was like this is but in the whole like six months following like breaking or having that breakup um I was just like okay right now it's just you and we'll go back to being single Christine doing what single Christine does which is lining them up um, <laughs> and just seeing what works um and yeah probably just good chemistry good timing and 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 trust like physical mm -hmm. trust not trust that 
they wouldn't betray you or like that complicated intimate trust, just physical safety trust yeah. of just being like, yeah, you can play with whatever you want to play with. Go ahead and see if that combination of buttons does the trick. Yeah. Can you hear the woman having a very loud orgasm in my apartment complex no. right now? There's, there's a couple in my apartment complex who... I really wish I could hear them. ...has very loud, very frequent sex. And I'm, I'm happy for her. I am all about it, except that every once in a while, they'll wake us up at like three or four in the morning. And I'm like, I'm really happy for you, but... I really oh my gosh. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because I, I, we recently moved into this apartment and everything's cool. Like there's a bar around the corner, which is sometimes loud on the weekends. But the other day I was like home on a Friday night, which I'm never, because mm-hmm. I'm usually at work. And I opened all the windows and I could hear this guy just like, and it's the neighbor downstairs from my neighbor. So like kind of diagonally downstairs. Uh-huh. And I could hear him yelling really weird things. <laughs> And I was like, I'm pretty sure it's a video game or something. Like, I can't understand. Like, with headphones or something. Why are you yelling so loudly? Yeah. These random things. And like, he kept yelling, like, I'm on fire. And I was just like, <laughs> after, like, 15 times, I was like, if you're not on fire, I'm going to come set you on fire. Like, at this point, <laughs> like, I can't. And it happened again a week later. And it happened while I was texting my landlord, who's his upstairs neighbor, being uh-huh. about something else. And I was like, by the way, who lives downstairs from you? Because this is the second time I'm hearing really weird noises coming from them there. And he responded like, bah. <laughs> uh, he was like, so that's Tom. I'm pretty sure Tom's into BDSM. <laughs> I was like, oh. oh, that makes more sense. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> and I'm like, and I also have way more patience for that right now. Like, right. Can- and uh, I really respect your landlord. <laughs> I res- yeah, I respect my landlord and his neighbor and us. Just a bunch of freaks living in this building. Get your freak on. Just close your window, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. If you're doing it at three in the morning, maybe put the gag on. <laughs> yeah. So yay to loud sexual neighbors. Awesome. I mean, it's a I'm revolution. <laughs> I was trying really hard to concentrate on your answer, but Ooh. also like, wow, that's really loud. <laughs> oh my gosh. And no, and it was so funny because I was bitching about the BDSM neighbor and Mark, my partner is just like, you do realize we had an orgy here on Saturday. Right? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but it was a Saturday. It's like Tuesday. And he's like, does it matter? I was like, no, I guess you're right. I was like, probably someone else's weird neighbor is me. <laughs> right. Sorry. Right. Okay, so now we obviously need to move directly ahead to orgies. Oh, yeah, sure, if you want. So, yeah, let's just go there. I mean, so, yeah, basically just to backtrack in the timeline. So I was in Europe for a couple of years, continued doing whatever the fuck I wanted, but with way more orgasms. Um, and came back to Canada for work and was kind of like, okay, I'm definitely not going to get back into a relationship right now. I'm having a great time being single. I prefer this. I do not want to give up my life for anyone. And then I met my partner while I was starting to talk a lot about non-monogamy on my podcast. And I met him in a non-flirty way. We met at work. And um, he was talking about the fact that he was non-monogamous for the last to relationship that he had had. Um, and that makes it hard to date, blah, 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 non-monogamy issues. Da, 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 da. And then I was like, huh, that's probably the only setting in, in which I would commit to someone emotionally again, is if I still was able to retain my freedom to continue to experiment. Because at that point, um, 
because of my book and my podcast, I had interviewed people who were really into BDSM and really far into non-monogamy and really far into these cool like frameworks that I was only just tipping my toes in, dipping my toes in. And, um, and I think right about that time, I also went to my first ever sex party, like a ticketed sex event, not like a house party that develops, which are also fun, but sure. different. This was like a willing thing of like, you're buying a ticket, you're buying an outfit and you're going in that outfit onto the street to get into this venue. Like that right. was a whole, and I decided to do that at the same time as doing Molly for the first time ever, Oh, which probably was the greatest idea I've ever had. Because <laughs> um, they say that Molly's only good the one first time that you try it and after that it's like, Oh, well. really? Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy because essentially it was like all this hype of going to a sex party and then the MDMA kicked in as we were walking into the venue. So I'm just like hyped up all of my feelings times 10 walking into this flesh fest. Um, it was pretty great. Nothing sexual happened at the party. I was just overwhelmed with watching everyone do their thing and it was liberating and amazing and i highly recommend everyone should go even if it's not your thing go and see how freeing it can be mm. even if you do not partake there is no obligation to partake um and yeah, one of the things that i love in the community is um the people say a lot that um voyeurism is participation it is. Yeah. But what I mean is like, you don't have to be a voyeur and get your kick from voyeurism to mm -hmm. go. Like if you're just curious and you want to experience being sexually free, yes, it is partaking yeah. and, and it will probably feel safer than you think it, mm -hmm. it sounds. Um, I've never felt safer than at those parties. I feel much more unsafe at a regular club wearing clothes yes. than I do. Oh my God, yes. Almost buck naked in the middle of a kink party. So true. Um, and so, yeah, and then started seeing my partner. And I think within the first, like, three weeks, we were off to a party that I was originally invited to by myself, which was an 18-person private orgy. And, um, and yeah, that's how we solidified our, our relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was pretty great. It was even greater telling my straight monogamous friends about it. <laughs> I think I, I had just as much fun doing that. <laughs> Are you aching to explore new vistas of your sexuality? Do you hear me talk about concepts on this show and think, it makes sense, but I need help applying it to my situation? That's where personalized sex and intimacy coaching comes in. When you work with me, I promise to help you feel safe exploring your sexuality. Together, we'll look at your needs and desires without judgment and help you figure out how to fulfill them. There's no single answer that's right for everyone. So I'm going to help you discover what's right for you and we'll go at your pace. That's the pace that respects your emotional needs, your boundaries, and your nervous system. Because going too fast can send you into shutdown while going too slow can be infuriating. The goal is to find what's right for you. I work with clients who are motivated to explore many different areas of sexuality, including things like 
expressing your sexual desires to current or future partners, exploring if you might be queer, challenging body image insecurity in sexual relationships, dipping your toes into BDSM or consensual non-monogamy, learning to date after a long time out of the dating pool, exploring sexuality for later in life virgins, and so much more. I want you to have a deeply fulfilling intimate life and together we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free, no obligation discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. That's leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. So you're now in a committed non-monogamous relationship. Yes. How do the two of you navigate that? What kinds of relationship agreements do you have in order to make that work for yourselves? Well, it depends really on how we're doing. It's the rules are not sort of established. They are constant conversations, daily conversations about how we're feeling and what we feel like we can or slash want or slash would like to do. Um, it started off very much uh, like open no rules because I was still quite busy with like an open roster of people that I was seeing um, before I started seeing him in any way. So I sort of was like, I don't know if I want to phase out these relationships or keep them. I don't know how I feel about this. Um, and he was in the opposite spectrum of being single and like lonely and hating life. So um he was like, you go ahead. I'm just happy to have you. And then as our relationship progressed, I, um, well, I don't even have that much time. So I think we just sort of time-wise committed to each other and were keen on spending more and, more and more time with each other. So it became very monogamish from the outside. Yeah. Um, but um, we're still very much allowed to play separately. We just always address it first. If we're planning on playing with anyone else or going on a date with anyone else, it's like, hey, I'm going to, I'm like such and such asked me to go on a date. How would you feel about that? Mm -hmm. um, or, Do you have the right of veto over each other's dates? It's, we don't really call it a veto, but, but yeah, in the sense that the only times that he's ever said, I would rather if you didn't, mm -hmm. is because we as a couple weren't doing so great at uh -huh. that point in time. So he'd like, I'd rather you didn't because I don't feel so secure in us. Yeah. Um, we've never really vetoed the other person. Mm -hmm. Mostly because he, mostly because of our attachment styles. Like he's very conscientious about who he dates and he's much more interested in them as a person. And therefore they're usually great people because he's great. Uh -huh. Um, whereas me, you don't really have to worry about that. Cause I'm not even sure I'll see them again. Like, it's not like, like I care less about, <laughs> it sounds horrible, but like I, I'm more into the physical attraction than I am into the emotional attraction. And therefore they're usually more passing people. Yeah. And if they're reoccurring people, they're there are people that there's no vetoing because they've existed before and mm -hmm. they'll continue to exist kind of thing. And so do you feel like you have a real emotional attachment to your partner? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. It's completely different though. That's what I mean. It's like he and I have a relationship 
um, my other sexcapades, as I like to call them, they're more physical and I sometimes need a balance because because of like how how active my brain is, I sometimes need to not have that attachment. Mm-hmm. This is my best way to describe it to him. It's like, it's nothing to do with you. I just need to, I need that part of my brain shut off for this thing. Mm-hmm. And like, for example, there's one person that I see only for bondage. Mm-hmm. And like, that's like, I want to do some bondage. I'm going to go see them kind of thing. So, or, or they, they're very compartmentalized kind of roles that we obviously consensually and enthusiastically agree to with the other person. Like we know very much what the quote unquote transaction is. Sure. Um, but um, it's not that I don't like feeling emotionally invested in the person that I'm having sex with. It's just that I don't require it. And so are there, um, how do I ask this question? Um, are there people that cross the lines or? Well, no, but that's an interesting question. Are there people who cross various lines for you? Um, yeah, and I think all my toxic relationships from the past were those people who crossed those boundaries mm-hmm. that I was, like, especially that first orgasm guy. Like, I'm pretty sure the chemistry should have remained physical. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. Because um, the emotional uh, labor and abuse um, after that was just not necessary. Um, and that's but- so, I think that's so true for so many of us. We have an intense physical and chemical uh, um, experience with somebody. I can definitely remember a couple of these myself. Um, one of which I really, I feel like I became addicted to him, even yeah, though that's how I describe that relationship. Yeah. He was emotionally terrorizing, Terrible. Me, but the chemical addiction was so strong that I couldn't walk away. Had yeah. I been able to separate the emotions from the physical, maybe I could have had the really exciting physical experience without having been so traumatized by yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's a work in progress. And, and honestly, I don't think it, it, everyone is capable of it. I'm not saying that it's like a practice that you get to. I mm-hmm. honestly think some people are wired that way. And I think that I am wired to for connection, for yeah. attachment. Yeah. Because I'm not. And I find that when some of my friends are like, I'm going to do that. And it like backfires. Yeah. I'm like, you're probably not wired that way and shouldn't try it. It's honestly not that easy if you're everything in your body is saying, I like this guy, mm-hmm. then fighting it is unnatural. Whereas my body doesn't even need to fight it. It doesn't even enter. Yeah. It's like, ooh, ham sandwich. And then I don't think about the ham sandwich anymore. <laughs> you know, like it's, <laughs> it's more like that. It's more like a, a craving for food than it is like a craving for a connection. Yeah. Huh. So do you have particular kinds of sex with your partner and then particular kinds of sex with other people? Like you mentioned, there's one person who you see for bondage. Um, I think he's the only one. No, there's a couple others. Um, bondage is in particular different because you need skills. Sure. I feel like if uh, my partner was to learn, I would do that with him. Like it's not like a separation that I wouldn't because we're emotionally invested. It's just mm-hmm. this one person that... I've been doing bondage with, we have the perfect connection for that in that we both have compatible kinks that work really well in those moments. And we're also intellectually interesting. So, cause rope mm-hmm. takes a long time. 
Mm-hmm. So you can't just be like, I'm going to, like, it takes hours to suspend somebody. Yeah. So you need to still be able to maintain the attraction that's chemical and also intellectual because you, you can't be that turned on that long mm-hmm. while suspended off. You know, like it has to be, it has to be a consequential experience. And so that's why I keep them around because it's, it works. But for example, I have a couple others that come to mind, like, one person that I love to have sort of like degrading, objectifying, but very respectful and consensual. Like it's like all predetermined before this is what we're going to do. And it's going to be terrible, but it's going to be great because we agreed <laughs> to do it kind of thing, sure. which is harder to do when you're emotionally invested with someone. It's just more complicated to be like, I treat me like a stranger. You know, it just doesn't work as well for me because mm-hmm. I, you're not a stranger and I do care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then I find myself fighting my body, which is a natural. Whereas other person is just this almost, almost this like fantasy of who they are. You know how sometimes you fall in love with the idea of a person yes, and then you date them and you're like, fuck, this is not who I thought they were. Well, this is kind of preserving that idea and just tapping into the idea and then letting the idea live its life. Uh. And, you know, so, so it'll be like, I really enjoy you for this. I don't want to know what you're like at breakfast. I don't want to know what you're like when you leave your socks on the ground. I don't want to know what your parents were like. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I care about this. And this weird phantasmagorical story works really well if we keep a healthy distance from each other. Sure. And, um... And then you can have your complicated stuff with other people. I'll be your easy person on the side, you know, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, th- so that's what I mean. A different sex with different people, but it's not like I wouldn't have rough degrading sex with my partner. We do, but mm-hmm. it's just different mm-hmm. from that one. You mentioned in passing a few minutes ago that you deal with OCD. I'm curious yes. how that manifests for you and how it uh, affects your sex life. Um, I think it's a mix of being OCD and high potential. I don't know uh, what that means. Uh, high potential is like a high IQ thing term where like you need to be doing three things at the same time to oh. stay interested. Okay. Um, it, it's confusing because it's like the thing that always made me good in school. It's the thing that made me able to be also sociable and popular in school. Cause I could still shit talk whilst paying attention and get an A, which also didn't, a lot of people didn't like, um, but <laughs> it's, it's by definition, the thing that makes me be able to have my job, my podcast, my book and everything still runs and do social events and have a social life. And like, it's what sustains this rhythm but physically, in a moment where you're supposed to connect to one thing, it's very difficult to shut off. It's like having an engine that's made for running at high speed mm. and you're asking it to like trot, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's just really unnatural for me to slow down and breathe and not do anything. <laughs> um, and sometimes sex can feel like that. It can feel like the moment where you're supposed to turn everything off and be so thankful for getting to turn everything off. Whereas for me, it doesn't feel that way. It feels unnatural. It feels like everything is out of my control, Mm. (laughs) which is not a natural feeling for my body. So it can be really tough to consolidate those two feelings. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What is a question or concern you have about sex in general or your sex life in particular? A question or concern? 
I mean, I'm concerned about how it's going to go into the future. Um, if I choose to have children and stuff, mm. I'm concerned um, with the trajectory. I'm also concerned every time I have like a downturn in my in my libido because mm-hmm. there's there are drastic waves of like I need to have sex all the time to like nope I'm gonna do other things now these are the things on my to-do list again my brain just like switches onto a different platform and just yeah. runs that way um so every time I'm like is this a sign of something <laughs> like overthink the actual thing yeah um how long but, do those periods usually last when your libido switches? I mean I'll still have sex um, I just, it just won't be a constant thing on my mind. And mm-hmm. I find that it's more of a constant thing of my mind when I'm not in a committed relationship. It's a weird mm. dynamic where I feel like when I'm emotionally invested, I sometimes find it harder to forego, um, forego is probably not the right word, but when I'm emotionally invested, I find it a little harder to be as free-spirited and, and and nonchalant as I am when I'm single, which mm-hmm. usually makes having sex easier when you're not, mm-hmm. you know, carried down by, like, the stress of life. Whereas usually when I find a partner that I want to invest in or invest with, we're so on a track of, like, how do I make our, our, my life better? How do I improve? How do I grow with you? Like, all these questions become things that are awesome and healthy and important, but also less frivolous mm. than the other stuff. So I find sometimes that that balance is hard to um, keep at a healthy level. I just kind of have to do fun things and do stuff that's not so important yeah. and big and serious. Do you want to have kids? I do. Yeah. And eventually. so how are you imagining that that might go for you in terms of your sex life? I don't know. I honestly don't. First of all, I don't know what it physically will be like. Because a lot of women have very physically different sex lives after they have children. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, I don't know what non-monogamous parenting looks like. You know, we don't have that script. We don't sure. have that image. So it's just an open question. I don't think it's going to be any harder than man- monogamous parenting. I think it's probably pretty much going to be the same. Just scheduling date nights with other people <laughs> um, is what I'm imagining it will be like. So I don't think it's going to be any harder. I just don't know what it's going to look like. Sure. We'll see what it does. Yeah. I And I wonder if yours is the generation that's going to start writing those scripts because non-monogamy is so much more accepted in the sort of under, currently under 30 yeah. crowd. Yeah. Um, my generation, the mid forties crowd is like, well, that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to ask. So like, wh- how is it for you being non-monogamous having just that decade difference? Um, I was, so I'm in a monogamous relationship now. Oh, you are. Yeah. And, um, prior to meeting him, I was dating non-monogamously and really enjoying that, but also beginning to re- it was the first time I had ever done that and realizing that my attachment style is primarily monogamous. Yeah. Um, I actually probably am at my heart, probably monogamish. Yeah. Um, in that 
I would be happy to have other experiences as long as they include my partner. Yeah. Because I am really not okay with the idea of my partner going off and having other experiences outside of my view because my brain will create crazy pictures about what might have been happening. Yeah. And so I don't want to, to put myself in the position of having to be okay with that by telling my partner that they have to be okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's just, it's too complicated for my brain, but that doesn't mean that I'm not totally open to going to sex parties with a partner and having threesomes and all of that. And, and we do, I mean, we haven't played non-monogamously since we've been together. Uh, since we decided to be monogamous. Um, but we do occasionally do things like go to sex clubs or, mm-hmm. um, you and know. I think people underestimate how much of a bonding experience that is, actually, totally. even if you are monogamous. It's actually really fun and interesting as a way to, like, we can go and we can watch others and we can get turned on yeah. by that or we can, um, you know, we haven't done more than make out a little bit. Yeah, at but a sex you even club, pick up stuff from others that you see like oh we could try that like yes. there's like- <laughs> yeah or just the very conversation like sitting um sitting i i remember uh when we did this a couple months ago sitting on a bench watching a woman um her the guy was sort of on a high stool and she had unzipped his pants and had taken out his pet his deck and was giving him a blowjob. She was still fully dressed on her knees. A lot of people were watching. And the conversation between my partner and I was about, so what would you think of that? Would you ever want to do that? It, it was not about, should we go play with those people yeah, or anything? Yeah. But the conversation itself was kind of hot. You know? It is. It is. It's exhilarating to be like in the presence of quote unquote stuff that you only see in porn, you know, like yes. stuff that you only see it at, from a distance. Yeah. And now you can, I want to say you can smell it, but not in a bad way where you can smell <laughs> it, but you know, it's in the air, like it's chemically there. So yeah, uh, yeah I think that, um, that I would have had the idea before this period of my life that to go to a place like that required a lot of participation that I would not have been interested in. And now I understand it requires virtually no pres- uh, participation yeah. if you're not interested in it. And that talk can be just as hot as action. A hundred percent. Like I remember even the first party that I went to um, was with a bunch of friends and we were just all sitting on the couch watching these people get spanked and doing things, all kinds of things. My brain was just like so much information. Yes. <laughs> um, but it was also extremely freeing. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not going with a partner to spice it up, quote unquote, it was just like, like, you know, all those weird ass questions that pop up in your brain when you're watching porn or that pop up yeah. in your brain when you're having sex with someone that you can't ask those questions to or you don't feel comfortable. That This is the comfortable space yes. where you can ask all those questions and be like, Hey, I've never done that. Or be like, or someone be like, Ooh, I love that. And you'll be like, really? You love that? Tell me more. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, just those, like you're saying, those conversations, they can be like revolutionary in their own right. Or like watching, for instance, watching somebody get spanked and being like, Oh, now I see what that, like, 
I, I understand how to do that better. So now I can take yes. that home and do it better with my partner. Yes. And which tools and which tools not to use. Yeah. And like, what <laughs> is the progression? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that watching can actually be really great for mm-hmm. a sex life. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's why like now I, I, when I do engage in anything now, it's much more a conscious effort to be like how does that feel and why does that feel good and why not as opposed to before when I was just chasing this storyline that I was fed Mm -hmm. of just being like this is sex this is what it looks like why can't I orgasm this is fucked up and also the orgasm is the end all and be all of all sex and it's like no it's not Mm -hmm. um really not it's actually not even the best part sometimes yeah it's like, so true. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think, um, I think when you said, like, is there something that changed the narrative? I think it's just a long progression of continuously trying to figure out what might or might not feel good, what, you know, what are possibilities, what are options. And also, I think in my brain, um, bondage was a huge thing. Like, not, I've not done a lot of it, but I, I dove in really fast. Uh-huh. Um, because because of my control issues, um, it takes control away. Yeah. It takes every intuition I might have to reciprocate or mm. focus on the other person. Because I enjoy giving someone else pleasure, it takes that option away. So all you're left, the only possibility you have left is to enjoy what's happening to you. And that was huge in terms of like mind frame change of just being like, oh, this is not being selfish. The other person is clearly enjoying doing this. Otherwise, they wouldn't be doing this. They wouldn't be spending three hours on this like intricate thing of like, am I going to cut off your nerves? Like if I do this the wrong way. Um, Yeah, that that shift of, of just being like, oh, yeah, no, this is totally okay. And like, it, I think it's even harder for women or people who present femme or grew up femme, um, to be like, oh, yes, I will take and only take. Mm -hmm. And by taking, I'm giving. But the act is taking. Like the performance, quote unquote, like what your body is doing is like taking the pleasure because you can't do physically give anything. But their pleasure is derived from you giving up your, you know, power of control. Mm -hmm. So that was a big one. That was a big learning moment. I get so many messages from listeners saying, thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls, and it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month 
might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And speaking of Patreon, there is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. I want to transition into the Q&A. Yes. Um, so this is more like rapid fire, but you're totally welcome to expand on <laughs> any and all of your answers. <laughs> okay. It's just less of interview and more of like questions. Okay. Cool. Do you have sex during your period? Yes. Do you enjoy that? Um, the, like some women say that it's even better for them. Um, unless I'm having cramps. If I'm having cramps, then get the fuck away from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> like if it's a painful period, I'm like, mm, I know you don't care. And I know I like it, but get, mm-mm, give me some chocolate and run. <laughs> um, but if I'm feeling fine body wise, um, it can be better, but not, I don't think I'm one of those people who's like, it's drastically better. It's just like that much more lubricated. Mm-hmm. So therefore it feels good. But yeah, I don't think it's like a drastic difference. Approximate number of sex partners you've had? Uh, Close to 200, probably. Something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Lost track around 150. (laughs) (laughs) Kept track up to 100 for my book. I actually had a list up until 100. Oh my gosh. And then after that, sex party started and now it's it's over. I think I will never ever have a list again, which is fine. Do you prefer clit stimulation or penetration? Um, I need clit stimulation. It's a non-negotiable. But to be fair, I think that like my, um, my clitoris's legs, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, really enjoy the penetration. I think the, the two really get me to my orgasm faster than either or. Mm-hmm. Actually, than just clitoral, cause just vaginal, there's no, that's not even a thing. Gotcha. Um, what is your favorite way to orgasm during sex? Um, when I'm on top. Yeah, I think when I'm riding on top is probably my favorite. Although, mm, although like oral plus sex toys is a close contender. Uh huh. Yeah, when someone's like, yeah, I don't know. A- Any way is good. I think there's no bad way to orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> Can you orgasm from intercourse alone? Well, that depends on how you define intercourse. Like if it's just a like a quickie, no. 
Versus. Like if it's versus um, intercourse that takes hours and doesn't technically involve any, like, I'm having a hard time with words because we don't want to call foreplay foreplay anymore because it's part of intercourse. <laughs> so like words wise, it's kind of, uh, it would have to be a very long drawn out session of sex with no oral for it to be intercourse that brings me to orgasm. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Okay. Do you prefer the orgasm from masturbating or from sex with another person? Sex with another person. What kind of touch do you enjoy most? Ooh, grabby. Like more like, there's no other word that I can use than (laughs) grabby. Uh Like soft is good, but the most I enjoy the most is when I feel like compressed. Like someone just like is trying to like squish you Mm. in in a loving way. Uh-huh. <laughs> what are your hard red lines? Anal. <laughs> having this conversation a lot with my partner. Uh, oh, does he want it? Yeah, he likes it with other people. I said he could continue to do that with other people. <laughs> um, by all means, go get them. Um, no, I think I've had anal a couple of times. It's too much for my OCD brain. I'm just too concerned with pooping. Mm. I can't let go. It's not like there's anything wrong with it. It's just I think the the input to my brain is still not trained to be like, this is okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's too like, no, get out of here. <laughs> and also my partner happens to have a very large penis. And I just, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. That seems painful. Mm-hmm. I think Are that's my s- only actual hardcore l- rule, though. I think everything else is very much open to discussion uh-huh. and trial and error. I think I trial and errored anal already. And that's therefore now it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's in the error category. Gotcha. <laughs> so uh, other than anal, are there sexual things you've tried that you don't ever want to do again? I mean, I never really need to be peed on again. Like it wasn't <laughs> traumatic, <laughs> but it was fine. Um, it, it was nothing special for me. It was I will say the one thing that it did teach me was the same thing as bondage. It was the power that you get from being the submissive or being in one way or another sort of like the person whom the other has power over actually is crazy empowering. Mm. Like the, the, the side of this person who like cannot refrain from wanting this thing that society says is wrong and rarely gets to do it. And you're the one who's like, yeah, you yeah. can do this. Interesting. And their whole like, oh my God, you are letting me do this and you are enjoying it. And this is what you want. Like you, you, what? Um, that whole process was extremely empowering of being like, oh, hmm, did not see this one coming. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Have you ever faked an orgasm? So many. So <laughs> many. All of them up until 23. And some of them after that, just because I was lazy, <laughs> lazy, lazy to tell them I'm not going to orgasm. Mm-hmm. Was it I really lazy thought. or was it just like, this is not a conversation I know how to have? No, um, I think I didn't know how to have it until I had an orgasm because I, because I didn't know it. <sighs> It was really hard up until I wasn't able to give myself an orgasm or anyone else was able to give me an orgasm because it wasn't like, oh, you're, I'm not going to come because you're doing it wrong. It was mm-hmm. just like, I'm not going to come because I don't know why. And at that point, I didn't know how to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. 
But once I got started getting orgasms, um, I wouldn't fake them for a very long time. And then every now and then with just like a random one night stand, I, it was lazy. Mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, they weren't doing anything wrong. It's not like the bad ones, like the experiences that were bad. I was like, this is bad. I'm never going to come doing this. No one is ever going to come doing this. Like you should really know this, uh-huh. but stuff that was just good. And I was tired and I didn't think that the person would benefit from, or like knew already then maybe I would, you know, in, in those situations. But I think now I'm past the point where I would fake it to get out of the conversation. Yeah. The conversation doesn't scare me anymore. Do you have hair down there or are you bare? Either all or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I get a full Brazilian wax every like four months. Uh-huh. So depending on when you get me in that cycle, <laughs> either or. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, well, you've already addressed this. Have you ever had a threesome or more? <laughs> yes. They're really fun. I don't think I enjoy threesomes. I don't think, I don't think I've had, no, I haven't had a threesome with my partner. It's always been fours or sixes or like pairs. Uh, I think it'd be different to do a three with him. I think that might change things. I've had threesomes with non, well, being the unicorn or all three mm-hmm. individuals. Um, but yeah, I think that might be on the list of things to do. Have you ever had public sex? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, did I? And then I was like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think 18 people counts, right? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Public. What was your first experience of porn? Um, that I can remember. It was probably like traumatic. I don't have, like, my early memories of porn were just, like, why would you do this to this poor woman? That <laughs> yes. does not look fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do you enjoy giving blowjobs or oral sex to females? Yes, both. hmm <laughs> <laughs> Just yes to both. <laughs> do you swallow or not? Depends. On? I don't know, a weird arbitrary judgment of, of whether I will like it or not. <laughs> it's the best way I can describe it. With my partners, yes. Uh, with randoms, not always. Mm-hmm. Also, it depends on, like, how I'm feeling. If I've had too much to drink, probably not, because, you know, it could create some oh. unnecessary movement of fluids. After effects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you enjoy receiving oral sex? I do so much. So, so much. (laughs) Yes. Do you ever worry about your smell or taste? I do. This is the thing that I talked about with girls uh, recently with some of my girlfriends was like, you know, do you get those days where you can smell yourself? Mm. Like for some reason you'll be in wearing full like jeans and everything and you'll like crouch down and you'll be like, well, I get a whiff of yourself. And you'll be like, what the fuck? So yeah, but it's not like a bad thing. It's just like, why do I smell so much today? Like myself. Um, so sometimes, but I think I address it now. <laughs> Go straight to him, like, can you smell me? He's like, yeah, I mean, it smells like vagina, but like, <laughs> that's fine. I'm like, is it bad? He's like, no, it's just smells like vagina. I was like, okay. You know, I had this conversation with my partner recently because I am very aware of how I smell. And I'm I'm not always a huge fan of oral of receiving oral sex. 
And I was saying to him, like, I'm feeling just like kind of like a smell and I don't know how I feel about that. And he's like, well, how do you feel about like, do I ever smell? I was like, well, sometimes you get a little musky, but you still smell like you and I like the way you smell. He's like, that's exactly how I feel. I'm like, something about that doesn't compute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like for me, it's the weirdest because like, I feel like guys get musky if it's like they haven't showered in the last hour kind of thing. But like the other day I got out of the shower and I could smell myself and I think I was just ovulating to be fair. Uh Um, And and there's a lot of shit we don't fucking know as women who or like have hormones and go through cycles. Like yeah. there's so much more we should know about our own bodies. But <laughs> that's besides the point. Um but yeah, I was just like, dude, I just came out of the shower. Like, what the fuck? And he was like, <laughs> again, not a concern except for you, you weirdo. Stop worrying about this. And I was like, okay. Point taken. Yeah. Can I go? <laughs> but I was like, now give me head. <laughs> and we've cleared this is not an issue. Get to work. <laughs> um, how do you feel about receiving ass play? Uh, uncomfortable, but w- we'll allow it. Um, like light, innocent ass play, as it like to, to put it. <laughs> so like external ass play? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, Maybe a finger over another. Still, I'm still uncomfortable with it, but yeah. but it's like it depends on the vibe. Okay. How do you feel about giving ass play? Not too fussed with it. Like I can or cannot. It's up to them. Mm-hmm. What's the kinkiest thing you enjoy? Probably suspension, bondage, suspension. I would say probably defines as the kinkiest. <laughs> I don't know. There's probably other things I'm unaware of for yeah. now. Um, do you think that you orgasm quickly or take a long time? Either or. Sometimes it takes me by surprise and I'm like, uh, I need a break. Give me a sec. Like, I think my body's in overdrive. Mm-hmm. Um, other times it, it'll take a long ass time. Yeah. Do you enjoy dirty talk during sexual encounters? That's a strange one. Um, I'm either like appalled and never want to hear a word of it. I'm just like, please, no talking. Uh, or I'm like, say things. Or I'm more into sounds than I am into words, oh, I would say. Interesting. Like, I don't like silent intercourse, but I don't like somebody making sentences either, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Depends. I can imagine, based on what you said about how active your brain is, that maybe yeah, it's sentences, distract. like, pull you out. Totally. A hundred percent. Especially if they sound a little corny. I'm like, <laughs> that that did not work. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Do you enjoy laughter during sexual encounters? Yes. Laughter and crying. Mm. Both of those things. I often cry. It's like a thing oh, that yeah? happens. But, but like overwhelmed crying, not like sad crying, just like, oh, my body doesn't know what's happening. So now I'm crying and laughing and who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever felt a sexual urge that confused you? Yeah. Like some people are like, I'm not attracted to you, but my body is. It's very strange. Hmm. you know those people that you're just like I don't find you objectively attractive I don't know why I really want to have sex with you right now. <laughs> very weird usually have sex with them though so <laughs> I guess it's not confusing enough to stop me <laughs> what is your favorite part of your body uh, I don't I'm trying really hard to like love all of it so right now I'm quite fond of it oh. um, I, it's phew, my favorite part Depends. I vacillate between my boobs and my ass. Okay. 
It depends on the what I'm wearing. And what's your least favorite part of your body? Probably my belly. I think that I still have some work to do on like deconstructing weight culture and diet culture and mm-hmm. shit. Um, I think I, I lose and gain the most in my belly. So I never know what it's going to look like. And that's the part that I don't like gotcha. that I don't, whereas like my butt could get bigger and I'm still like, yeah, my butt. <laughs> 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 Super strange. And I lost like a lot of boobs cause I lost a bunch of weight since two years ago. So they're like way saggier, but I'm still like, yay boobs. <laughs> um, for some reason in my belly, I'm just like, I think I bloat easily. And so that makes me uncomfortable. I don't mm. know. One of those. Do you, uh, what is something about your current sex life that isn't quite as satisfying as you'd like it to be? I mean, I would like to have more time mm. so that I could do this and more. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, other than that, I think we're pretty good at communicating the things that we want to do and try. So I don't think I wouldn't necessarily change anything with my partner. I would just like more time to play more. What is something you fantasize about but never have asked for in real life? Uh, I'm sure there's tons of things, but I can't think of one. Um, I don't know. I've asked for weird things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The opposite problem. (laughs) Just like, don't say those words, Chrissy. (laughs) That's pushing it. Uh, Yeah, I don't think think that's an issue with me. I think it's just come out of my mouth. Yeah. What is a myth about sex that you've had to unlearn? So many. Mm-hmm. All of them. Yeah. Orgasm is the end. Virginity is a thing. Uh, swallowing is slutty. Um, enjoying sex with people you don't like is wrong. Um, all of them. Yeah. All of them. Christine, we have done it. Yay! Yay. Thank you so much. Um, Where can people find you? They can find me on Instagram as ChristineWild underscore. They can find me on their favorite podcast app at Running Wild with Christine. It's on all of them, so whichever one you want to use. And you can find me on JustBadTiming.com for the book, the podcast, the blog, Everything that you want to know about me is on JustBadTiming.com. And, you know, their book is there, too, if you want to buy it. Thank you so much for having this conversation. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. It's been great. I, there's so many questions I haven't thought of before. Yay! So I'm super <laughs> glad. Yeah, I was just like, oh, did not ever ask myself that. So that was awesome. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, 
an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>